Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. It's Friday morning, June 4, and time for this week's roundtable. Looking back at the news of the week with three of Washington's top political journalists, or as Donald Trump calls them, enemies of the people. <laughs> we call them we call them friends. Even with Congress out of town, it's been a busy news week. President Biden continues to press for a bipartisan deal on infrastructure. Pressure mounts on Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten, Kirsten Sinema to join other Democrats in killing or defanging the filibuster. Donald Trump is reportedly gearing up for two campaign rallies later this month, as Michael Flynn, his former short-lived national security advisor, suggests that a violent military coup is just what this country needs. In the middle of which, President Biden goes to the beach. So, so much to talk about. Let's jump right in with today's panel. Addie Baird, political reporter for BuzzFeed. Hello, Addie. Hi, Bill. Jason Dick, deputy editor of CQ Roll Call. Hello, Jason. Hello, Bill. And joining us for the first time today, and very welcome, Jamal Simmons, political contributor to CBS News, among other hats that he wears. Hello, Jamal. Hey, how you doing? All right. So let's start with uh, infrastructure. The president is talking again today with the lead Republican negotiator, Senator Shelley Moore Capito from uh, West Virginia. Uh, Jason, is there really any chance for a deal? Um, I am a, a bit skeptical of it, Bill. Uh, by, well, by the way, when I lived in West Virginia for a couple of years in the early 2000s uh, with the AmeriCorps program, I never imagined that West Virginia would be the most powerful state uh, in the country <laughs> with Joe Manchin uh, and Shelley Moore Capito being, getting so much attention. But there you are. Um, I, it seems like I, I do think that Joe Biden and Shelley Moore Capito are actually very earnest in their desire to get some sort of deal. Um, the Biden is is someone who I, I think is is not too worried about um, sort of ruffling Democratic feathers uh, about like going it alone. I think he'd rather get a smaller deal uh, and and you know, sort of call it a day and, and head for a bike ride on Rehoboth Beach, <laughs> as he did uh, this week, as you, as you mentioned, uh, then get everything on the Democratic wish list. Uh, but, you know, there's just a lot going on. And I think a lot of folks in Congress, particularly, you know, in, in the, the sort of harder edged people who are like, we have to get everything done before the 2022 midterm, you know, seasons. And that's putting a lot of pressure. But I, I think, Biden and Capitol really want to get something. Uh, and it's and the, the fact that they're both still talking, I think, is, is a real sign. Uh, so, Addie, you hang around there. I mean, there are a lot of Democrats who are saying Biden's just waiting too long, right? That he's uh, making the same mistake Obama did of 
counting on these Republicans to come around when they never will. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that there's some trauma from the ACA. I think that there are people who feel like, um, you know, the the kind of way this is, it's a little funny, right? Biden's been in office for only a little more than 100 days, and we're already like, all right, like, let's pick it up. Like, we've got the 2022 <laughs> midterms, like, at our backs. <laughs> but, but, I, but you're right, like, they're definitely kind of like Jason mentioned, there are Democrats who feel really differently, who are not willing to give up really important central pieces of this uh, legislation or of all of these other kind of pieces of um, the the Biden agenda. And one thing I do think is interesting and, and that I've just been thinking a bit about lately is the way that Biden's platform when he was running and campaigning. I talked to a lot of progressive activists who were like, this is actually kind of everything we wanted. But I always kind of was waiting for this moment where Biden is, a, he wants to make deals and go for a bike ride. Like that's Joe Biden. Um, that is not, that is not true, especially for um, some of these more progressive Democrats on the Hill and, and definitely not true for a lot of the progressive base. So there's mm -hmm. some frustration there for sure. Uh, uh, Jamal, we've been talking about infrastructure for so long, right? Even Donald Trump said a trillion dollars for infrastructure. Can the Republicans really walk away with no infrastructure bill? Well, you know, the dynamics of the Republican Party are not based on policy or any of the normal <laughs> any of the normal inputs that those of us who've been in politics for a while pay attention to. Uh, yeah, this amen. is really a culture it's a culture war. And so as long as they're true on the culture uh, aspect of it, then um, and particularly white, straight Christian culture, let's be specific. <laughs> um, yeah. As long as they stay true on that, then they'll kind of get along. Uh, the, the base will never punish them for not going along with it. And in fact, they have a greater risk of being punished for going along with these traitors to what uh, the base considers to be the real America. So I think I think that uh, the 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 push is against them doing it. But but on the other hand, you've got Biden where he's got all these dynamics that are pushing him to try and to visibly show that he's trying, mostly because most of the people who voted for Joe Biden in the presidential election, if you look at the ideology, most of them were moderates to conservatives, right? The liberals were mm -hmm. actually the minority of the, of the number of people who voted for him. So he needs to hold together this alliance of uh, progressive Democrats, moderate Democrats, and those disaffected Republicans who got him over the 50% mark. And if he can do that, then as long as he keeps that group together, then he is untouchable in, in the next election. No pressure, uh, though. Not hard. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. But that's why he goes through these histrionics of, you know, I think trying to be, you know, bipartisan and, and making all these efforts. And it frustrates the progressive Democrats. But he's got this other, you know, flank that he's got to hold together of the coalition. Is he, Jamal, let me stick with you for just a sec. Is he capable, we're talking about the president here, Joe Biden, the man we know, of playing this out, you know, for another couple of weeks or something, and then just saying, well, screw it. I tried. Can't do it. So we're just going to go Democrats only. Well, the question on there is, you know, where does Kristen Sinema and, and Joe Manchin come down on that question? And he's got to get yeah. them to be willing to go along with um, with uh, reconciliation. So, uh, and, and, you know, and remember, he's only got one more reconciliation bullet left, I think. Mm -hmm. So he's got to use it wisely. Um, and if he can get a Republican to go along with this, maybe he can use reconciliation for something else on the line. Right. So, Jason, isn't this all 
the uh, f- starting with the stimulus bill, the January 6th vote, and now this infrastructure. Isn't this all leading to the inevitability of a nuclear fight over the filibuster? I mean, we're we're kind of in it, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. already. I mean, in, in the ways that wars really start before the official starts of wars, um, you know, it, we're we're in this, and you know, I think that a couple of months ago, when they when Democrats started to see that, you know, that that Republicans were. Uh, perhaps not debating, you know, things in good faith on on things like the stimulus. That uh, you know, they started leaning on Mansion. They started leaning on Cinema because they had both said, like, we're not touching the filibuster, as if it's you know this something, this thing that came down from the hill, you know, with Moses or something. It's just, you know, it's it's crazy to me. You know, I've I've, I've written about this, you know, you know th- this thought that the Senate is some big cooling saucer for the hot tea of the house. I mean, it's a bunch of hooey, you know, I mean, this is, you know, the, the, the filibuster is something that the Senate came up with itself, but you know, these are the things that Joe Manchin wants to, you know, hang his hat on and, and Kirsten Sinema want to hang, you know, like they, 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 want to stick with this for whatever reason, uh, because I, I guess they don't really believe in majority rule. Uh, so, I mean, it's where I don't know where it goes from here, though, because Mansion and Cinema. I mean, one Cinema can you can't even count on her to to show up for a vote on say the <laughs> January sixth commission, uh, and and Mansion just seems very steadfast in in wanting to stick with you know reaching out to uh, you know. To, to the Republicans. Now he's in a different situation, of course, because he comes from this overwhelmingly Republican state and he's a Democrat. So, I mean, I get it, but I don't, I don't know where they, I, I don't know where they get the votes to overturn, you know, the rule. It would take, you know, all 50 Democrats plus Kamala Harris's uh, tie-breaking vote to change the Senate rules. So I just don't see that happening. Uh, I think we're going to be in this sort of cold war filibuster thing for a while. Uh, well, you know, mentioned every day, uh, he, he seems to be kind of all over the place, although he's clearly against changing the filibuster. But Kirsten Cinema, um, no doubt about how she stands. Here she is uh, this week with the inevitable question about her flexibility. Well, as folks in Arizona know, I've long been a supporter of the filibuster. The idea of the filibuster was created by those who came before us in the United States Senate to create comedy and to encourage senators to find bipartisanship and work together. So really encourages senators to work together? Yeah. <laughs> Seems to me it does the opposite. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, this is sort of a funny, you know, sometimes members of Congress uh, just say things and they sound like uh, words that you know, but when you really try to make sense of them, they mean very little. <laughs> and that, that came across as like a poorly translated civics lesson yes. for, you know, some other country or something. It's, it was just, ugh. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like, look, let's be clear about what the filibuster does in the United States Senate. It gives about four people extreme power over a chamber of 100 people. And those four people are like Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, <laughs> and these two Democrats that we've been discussing. And, and you know, it's like it, it does not encourage bipartisanship. And if it did, um, I think we would have been looking at a really different last few years in this country. So I think we have a lot of evidence that this is not true. <laughs> uh, Jamal, we hear a lot about maybe... We leave the filibuster except for 
voting rights legislation, the For the People Act. Um, is that in the cards, do you think? Or uh, that that may be the way that this ultimately shakes out to keep Mansion and Cinema from you know to hold on to their initial promise, um, but then mm -hmm. be able to make some exceptions. You know, the, the thing about the filibuster, I guess this is the thing about I guess getting older now. I've been around long enough to see the <laughs> filibuster be used by the good guys and by the bad guys. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, just during the Trump presidency, the Democrats used the filibuster to stop the border wall, stop border wall funding, to stop uh, the forcing of sanctuary cities to cooperate with, you know, the, the Trump government, to stop the prohibition of taxpayer funds against abortions. So the, you know, the filibuster has been used on, by progressives to stop bad things too. And so the worry that the mansion has is a legitimate worry that if you get rid of it, that the Republicans are going to do it. Here's the problem. The problem is Mitch McConnell is like the bully who beats you in the head all the time. So you're saying, I'm not going to hit you because I'm afraid you're going to hit me back. It's not really a good approach to politics. Mm -hmm. Like they're already hitting you. <laughs> like in the old days, we were able, and Democrats are motivated a little bit more by policy. So Democrats didn't use it all the time. They used it when it made sense. The Republicans aren't motivated by policy. They're only motivated by power. And they're using it to deny the coalition of people in America who believe everybody ought to participate from having power in America because their coalition believes white people ought to be the ones who decide everything. And so they're just standing up against it. I just think in this moment, you got to get rid of the filibuster because you don't have a party on the other side that's actually willing to negotiate on behalf of what's best for the country. Yeah. Uh, when, Jason, when is this... Uh going to come to a head um i mean it's like i said i i don't i don't know you know like we could probably see a big flare-up uh at the end of this month because chuck schumer the majority leader has said he's going to bring the for the people act uh mm -hmm. to, to the floor deadlocked in in uh in a committee markup last month but he can still bring it up uh under the the rules of the senate so we could see uh you know some some, some sort of like movement or flare-up there um, I mean, I, I, you know, getting back to the, the January 6th commission last Friday's vote, Friday's vote, uh, I mean, yeah, you know, 54 people, 54 United States senators, you know, including, you know, a, a handful of Republicans voted for this legislation uh, and three people who were absent, including Kirsten Sinema, uh, but also Patty Murray, a member of leadership. And then another Republican, Pat Toomey, said that they would have voted it. So you got 57 votes to establish a January 6th commission. And that's still not enough <laughs> to establish, you know, mm -hmm. like a, a, a bipartisan commission. I mean, this, it's like Jamal said, one party is its leadership is not negotiating in, in good faith here. And when if you would t tell somebody that if you got 57 percent <laughs> in an election, Election and it still wasn't enough to win, they would say, well, that's kind of an insane way of like tabulating results. Well, Joe Manchin, uh, Jason, is now saying, uh, suggested yesterday, we should have a second vote, vote again on January 6th, and we only need three more votes. Right. And it's and it's also, I mean, again, getting to the rules. I, I love this that, uh, you know, Jamal is referencing a, a parliamentarian's ruling about reconciliation. And now we're talking about like bringing how to bring up legislation that's been defeated. It's like the rules committee we're doing here <laughs> on the pod. I love it. Um, but um no, I mean they they could. It would be kind of a pain uh, to to bring it up. I mean there there's a there are ways that you can quickly bring up defeated legislation uh, in in the Senate, and the the Democrats chose not to <laughs> to utilize that. The majority leader can can change his or her vote and then quickly bring it up. Uh, and and Schumer didn't do that, so they'd have to go through another process. You know, which I 
frankly, I, I don't know exactly how that would work right now. Uh, so who knows? And you know, let's be honest; it's probably good politics for for Democrats to be able to hit Republicans over the head well, with this thing uh, yeah. for for a little while longer. Well, I want to ask you about that, Jamal. Is it good? Jason says it's good politics for Democrats. Is it good politics for Republicans to be against basically, you know, a truth commission? Uh, it's good, pol pol good Republican base primary politics. Yes. Why? Because Donald <laughs> Trump is against the commission because Donald Trump doesn't want all of his dirty drawers strung out all over the street anymore about how he had his hands knee deep in this uh, insurrection that took place. And so, listen, I think we are at the most um, uh, uh, perilous point I've seen in politics and maybe the most perilous point since the 18, early 1860s in this country when you have so many people in this country who are willing to literally overthrow the mechanisms of democracy, both by violent means in the capital and by legislative means in state capitals around the country in order to nullify the votes of other Americans who they disagree with. <laughs> and that's that's really where we are. And that's why I think that, um, that's why Joe Biden needs to do whatever it takes to get this stuff passed, because he's got to keep the rational people on board believing that the government can work. And, and and we're at war with these irrational people led by an irrational president, Donald Trump, former president, uh, Donald Trump. Yeah, uh, Addy, I was surprised yesterday to see, I don't know how, what it means, I, I guess I'm asking you, uh, that Mike Pence spoke out about this for oh, the first God. time and said he, he doesn't think, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't think that he and Donald Trump will ever see eye to eye on what happened on January 6th. No shit. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, just to refresh the memories of everyone, Mike Pence was there. Like Mike Pence was in the Capitol and removed by security. And there was a lot of concern for his safety. And um including including the gallows out in front of the Capitol. Yeah. And perhaps the people chanting, hang Mike Pence. Yep. Hang yeah. Mike Pence. Yeah. Hello. That might have been a hint for them. <laughs> and and, you know, it, it, Pence is sort of a, a fascinating character in this moment. He, I think this is one of the only times we've really ever seen him break with the president. And and it kind of goes back to that very day when, when the president was pushing him to essentially pull some magical trick out of his hat and invalidate the election. And Pence wouldn't go along with it. And I don't think Mm -hmm. could have, you know, pulled the trick out even if he he wanted to. Um, and uh, sort of the underlying context for this entire conversation um, is that many people believe that Trump wants to run again. In fact, Trump is saying, um, yeah, he's saying, yeah, yeah, this is this is not a, a secret. I think what I was sort of thinking about when I saw these these Pence comments is, um, I really doubt Pence will be on that ticket this time, basically. <laughs> either either at the top or in the second yes. spot. That's right. Yes. Yeah, got it. Okay. Uh, boy, so well much. Well played, Addy. Well played. <laughs> uh, so much going on. So much to talk about with our uh, panel today. With J Jamal Simmons, Jason Dick, and Addy Baird, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and pick up on all the stuff we didn't get to yet here on today's roundtable, the Bill Press Pod. 
talk a lot about infrastructure. Well, the people who are ready for that infrastructure bill are the members of the Laborers Union of North America, sponsors of today's podcast. We salute the good members of the Laborers Union. Infrastructure is music to their ears. They're already busy building America, and they're ready to rebuild America if Congress and the president ever get their act together and pass an infrastructure bill. Uh, we salute the members of LIUNA, over a half a million strong, under the leadership of President Terry O'Sullivan, and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're back with today's roundtable here on the Bill Press Pod. Jamal Simmons joins us from CBS News, Jason Dick from CQ Roll Call, and Addie Baird from uh, BuzzFeed. I want to start with the president on the road this week, uh, two significant trips, first out to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the massacre uh, held in the Greenwood section of Tulsa. Uh, here is President Biden in Tulsa on that occasion. My fellow Americans, this was not a riot. This was a massacre. Jamal, that was a hugely significant act on the part of the president, right? It was hugely, hugely significant. Uh, I think what, what we now know is that... Um, a hundred years ago, uh, there was a massacre that took out a significant part of, of black wealth in this part in this uh, country. You know, very often African Americans are confronted with this question: Well, why can't you be like name the immigrant group? Right? This immigrant group came here; they didn't have anything; they built something, and it worked. Well, you know, African Americans were like that, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Um, they left slavery; they started businesses; they built, you know, communities. Um, many of them left the South and they went north and did the same thing. And, but what happened was racism got in the way. And either it was, you know, redlining or, you know, uh, something as benign as redlining or, some, or something 
something like uh, or, or, or segregated communities where they couldn't move. Or it was out and out violence, like what took place in um, in, in Tulsa or what took place in Elaine, Arkansas. And so I think, you know, uh, what's good about this particular moment is that America is sort of sorting through all of that bad history. And while it's frustrating for a lot of people who don't really want to learn about that bad history, I think if we come to grips with it, we now can do things to make the future better, knowing that um, we've done some stuff that we need to sort of figure out and fix from the past. So Jason, I want to fess up, and I am sure I am not the only American uh, who would admit this. I never heard of Greenwood and the Tulsa massacre before the last few couple of months when people started talking about it with this anniversary coming. You know why, Bill? Hold on. You know why? Because you don't listen to enough hip hop. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I admit, I confess to that too. <laughs> no, it, it's uh, no. The, you know, I mean, you're you're, you're you're both absolutely right. I mean, this is not something that's a part of any curriculum, you know, in, in a, uh, in, in most schools. I mean, I'm from the West, you know, I'm from, I'm from Arizona and, you know, Oklahoma is not that far away. Never heard a word about it. Um, and, and, um, you know, I, my sort of entree to it, I think was, um, you know, there was a, um, the, the last year, what you know, there was a pop culture, you know, sort of iconography of, of the Watchmen HBO series, uh, which right. uh, mm-hmm. was largely set in, in Tulsa, uh, and and used that as the the sort of the framing device for the whole uh, series. And but you know, it's just this thing that was whitewashed. You know, it, it was it was vaporized. You know, from any kind of critical analysis or or reckoning and. I mean, this is and this is why it is so such a big deal, you know, that that Biden went there, uh, that that he's the first president, you know, to go there on, on this anniversary. I mean, it, it's it just can't be, um, you know, underestimated how overestimated how how big a deal it is to recognize this, um, and 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 bring it out from just being a, a subcultural thing. Uh, and Addy, he made a very important announcement while he was there, uh, the president did, saying that he had uh, was naming or asking uh, Vice President Kamala Harris to head the entire national effort uh, to secure voting rights for Americans and particularly to get the For the People Act passed. Uh, that, that That's a, as he said, that's a hell of a lot of work to do. And she's got it. Yeah, I, um, I saw someone on Twitter sort of Quipping that that Biden's keeping up the classic American tradition of giving your vice president impossible jobs. Um, <laughs> Joe Biden's vice presidential job, for example, was essentially like cure cancer. Um, and, and so I, you know, I, but but it, look, I mean, Kamala Harris is a talented negotiator, a talented politician, um, and voting rights is a deeply important issue. We sort of alluded to it a little bit earlier um, with this maybe being one of the places where Democrats would go nuclear um, to, to try and push this through without Republican support. Because while we've been talking about the possibility of some Republican support for infrastructure or other different, you know, uh, Biden priorities, like the, the, point, the point that Jamal has made many times, Republicans don't 
go to work every day to pass good policy. They go to work every day to uphold white Christian culture. Um, and there is nothing more dangerous to them than having more people vote. Um, Anyway, now I'm sort of getting off the topic of Kamala Harris, but yeah, huge jump for yeah. her. This is going to be a, yeah. quite the undertaking, um, but but absolutely a vital piece of this presidency. Now, not to trivialize it, but I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Well, I, I just wanted to say, I think for Kamala Harris, this is actually an opportunity, even though it is, <laughs> it's when you wonder, like, are we really friends here? Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it may be an opportunity because her, the truth is, even though people rallied around her in the middle of the election, um, when she got chosen to be vice president, she does have a political soft spot when it comes to African-American, in particular African-American activists mm -hmm. and people who are younger. And so this gives her an opportunity to do something for a part of the electorate that is suspicious of her because of her background as the top cop and all that stuff yeah. we heard back mm -hmm. during the election. So I think she um, she probably does want to do this because it will give her, if she's successful, and even if she's not successful, but she fights hard and she can build relationships, it will help shore up her political position in the Democratic uh, infrastructure. Uh, that's an excellent point. The New York Times reports this morning that she actually went to the president and said, I want this. I want to take this on, right? Unlike maybe that's right. going to Guatemala and dealing with the situation <laughs> down there. Uh, she said, solve immigration, race yeah. relations, and let's see what else, climate change, maybe? Can we go this is I what saw I want. someone say, uh, why don't we just like put Kamala on Israel next, <laughs> you know? <laughs> she, she, and, she and Kushner can get right Absolutely. on. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Before we move on, uh, Jason, there was one other trip of the president this week. So in the middle of all of this stuff going on, he just packs up and goes off to the beach for two days. He's coming back to the White House today. Um, pretty bold move, right? What does it say about Biden? Uh, a little too cocky or a little too uh, a little confident? I, I think that this is a hint of of what uh, our our colleague Gabriel De Benedetto had called in New York Magazine Biden's superpower, which is his <laughs> his relatability. I mean, he is able to lower the temperature uh, across the board on a number of like uh, you know sort of big big ticket tense moments, and this is a fairly tense moment. But it's also, I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, Delaware is not that far away, right? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, Rehoboth yeah. Beach is 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 a very short ride on Marine One, um, you know, to oh, oh, from from DC from Joint Bears uh, Andrews. Uh, so it's not like he's going to Mar-a-Lago uh, to, to, to golf um, or Hawaii but, or, or Hawaii. You know, I mean, or you know, uh, Martha's Vineyard or, or wherever you know presidents you know have typically gone. He's blessed by his proximity to his to his home. But I think that this is you know he is able to to do these things and also like continue to, to talk to people on the phone and he's coming back to the White House today. And I just feel like that's the kind of, I mean, I, I look at that and I'm thinking like, that's a real good work-life balance he's got there. <laughs> like to, to be able to say like, you know what, I'm going to Europe for like a while, you know, while on this long trip that's going to make a lot of long nights. And it's the first international trip a president's made in, in quite a while. I've got that coming before me. I've got all this infrastructure stuff and it's still a recess week. So yeah, I'm going to hop over with Jilly to ride bikes in Rehoboth and get some more ice cream. And I think that that's, that's why people like him. You know, I mean, he's just like, he's, he's like that. People are thinking like, that sounds like a really good idea. Maybe I should go for a bike ride today. Plus, <laughs> I, I can go back to work. <laughs> plus, I, I think he gets uh, a lot of props. He did this for his wife's 
birthday. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so, the, so then that's answered, right? Right. right. <laughs> exactly. Happy right, one so is happy country. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Jamal, another president reportedly is going to get on the road soon. Former President Donald Trump. Uh, they're saying that he's got two rallies planned later this month and one rally uh, early in July. Uh, is this what the Republican Party needs? It may not be what they need, but it's certainly what they want. Um, <laughs> um, and maybe not the ones in Washington, but all the rest of them in the country seem to, they can't get enough of this guy. They just can't quit him. Um, and, you know, and the Democrats want it too, because, you know, I, I, I have long believed that the secret to Joe Biden's success is the shadow of Donald Trump looming over American politics. And every time people start to get a little bit like, you know, questioning, or maybe it's a little hinky. Trump shows his head and they go, oh, but wait a minute, we can't go back to that, <laughs> to that crazy guy that we were dating before. He said, this is not going to work. Right. Um, and Addy, is there any doubt what Donald Trump's message is going to be at these rallies? Um, uh, I mean, <laughs> Lindsey Graham says, Lindsey Graham says we're going to talk about the future. Is Donald <laughs> Trump going to talk about the future? Really? Uh, yeah, I think we could probably just the four of us on this podcast put together the entire remarks, despite the fact that they will be completely <laughs> off the cuff, like completely out of nowhere. Like it'll be like, remember how I was like ripped from the presidency and also like right. shower heads don't have enough water. <laughs> <laughs> and I, think flushes. I think it's also going to be a, a, it's going to be a seminar on how to start a successful blog. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, one of my favorites too, Addy, was was when remember when he did the event for Kelly Loeffler, and he like at the end he was like, "Wait a minute, where are you? Come up here. Okay, don't stay too long. Like, get off the stage. Nobody wants to hear that too much." Absolutely, <laughs> like, he was the worst endorser. He was the worst endorser on the planet. And then they were all like, you know, "Thank you so much, our king." <laughs> Uh, so we we have talked about the uh, voting rights, uh, the effort to suppress the vote, the effort on the part of the Congress. Jamal, you mentioned it, and the part of the state legislatures. Uh, things got a little went to like another level this week when Michael Flynn appeared at a QAnon rally of all places uh, and was asked by a veteran, "Why can't we have a violent coup here, just like they had?" He he says in Myanmar, meaning Myanmar. <laughs> Uh, here's that clip and Michael Flynn's response. I'm a simple Marine. I want to know why what happened in Myanmar can't happen here. No reason. I mean, it should happen here. No reason. But that's right. No reason it can't happen here. It should happen here. Um, Jamal, what the hell? A violent coup against the United States? Yeah, it, long, it makes you long for the days of John McCain, right? Remember when McCain would stand up at these rallies and tell everybody yeah. to sit down with that silly stuff? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's these guys aren't really making a secret about what they're up to. <laughs> like, that's the thing, right? Like, yeah. we get, we're talking, trying to, like, figure yeah. it out. What do they mean? How does it play? Like, you can, they're you can telling us. Them. Yeah, you can <laughs> believe <laughs> them. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
you know, they're telling us they like they a violent insurrection against the United States Capitol where they wanted to hang the vice president. Like this is not a uh, mystery. So, um, you know, I think Mike Flynn should actually be brought up on charges at some point again uh, for the way he's been behaving. This guy is a danger to national security. I thought, uh, maybe I'm just old-fashioned, that advocating a violent coup against the United States was treason. But um, All right, Bill, get I into guess, the 21st century here. I guess the rules have changed. <laughs> but uh, so uh, that's a former national security advisor. We also heard uh, last week, and I, I'd like to play again, a sitting member of Congress. Yeah, wacky for sure, but still a sitting member of Congress. Matt Gates, who said this about the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is not about, it's not about hunting, it's not about recreation, it's not about sports. The Second Amendment is about maintaining within the citizenry the ability to maintain an armed rebellion against the government. So, Jason, it sounds like he's calling for another January 6th. It's, it certainly does. And of course, Mr. Gates is uh, uh, a rather has a very interesting situation that he's in right now uh, with uh, potentially uh, being uh, investigated by federal authorities for sex trafficking. Uh, so of underage uh, women. So uh, we'll we'll see how this goes. You know, what, girls. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah it, we'll, we'll see how this goes. Uh, you know, th these sort of comments go. Uh, if he is arraigned or arrested or indicted, um, I mean, I, it, it seems like this is uh, the, the way to you raise a lot of money uh, for your campaigns uh, and then transfer it to a legal defense fund. Say, I mean, maybe that's a cynic's way of looking at it, uh, but I, I think that Matt Gates is trying to, to hoover up as much uh, money as he can for a potentially long, protracted legal uh, uh, standing problem. Okay, so um, one last question before we go to your favorite story of the week. I, I don't know who to throw this to, so I'm just going to mention what <laughs> what is coming up and see who wants to tackle it here. But we've learned now this Senate is going to receive a report before the end of this month uh, from the Pentagon about UFOs. Bill, you know this one is for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Addy. This, and the Pentagon is now saying there were some 120 incidents, and they cannot confirm that they were alien spacecraft, but they can't deny it either. I'm literally like Whoa. vibrating with excitement. This is all I've been able to think about. Um, also, like Barack Obama went on... I think it was yes. maybe one of the late night shows and was like, look, dude, like there's some stuff out there that we don't understand. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this isn't for me because all I have to say is like, I'm really excited. I love aliens. <laughs> I think that like, it's really, <laughs> I think it's like really awesome that we're going to like learn some more about aliens. Although, I shouldn't get my hopes up. Um, the New York Times writes like the same story about alien phenomena yeah. like every year. And we all are like, <gasps> um, but, you know, I think it's interesting. There's definitely stuff out there that we don't understand. And um, I personally do not believe that aliens have visited Earth, even though they are out there. But I am interested to look at this evidence and I am willing to be swayed. It's good that you're open-minded yes, about absolutely. UFOs. I, I, 
<laughs> you know, Bill, I am a uh, I am an avid science fiction consumer, and I just have to say, Star Trek is the only uh, uh, the only place where aliens show up, and it turns out well for us. And every other story when the aliens come, <laughs> they don't mean to like you know hang out and teach us new great wonderful things. Okay, I did okay. just read Contact by Carl Sagan, where things go really quite well, and we learn a lot from aliens. So <laughs> that's my True. hope. That is, you are that that is true. That's the other one. <laughs> and roll call, I imagine Jason is going to have a special edition just on UFOs, right? We are. We already have our cartoonist is so excited. Uh, he's he's already <laughs> done some of the artwork. I I, I want to uh, note too that it's not just uh, the the uh, kind of uh, sci-fi crowd that is thinking about this. I mean, Harry Reid, the former Senate yes. Majority Leader, yes. and as starchy a realist as you get. Uh, is it, you know has been talking about this for years, and right. I I think if if Reed Reed really doesn't like spend a lot of time on things that that he doesn't think like have some sort of basis in reality, <laughs> so I'm I'm really curious uh, what this report's going to be. Uh, I, I think it's right. going to be fascinating. Yep, I can't wait either. We'll see what uh, what what happens. A great rundown of the news of the week. Uh, thank you so much, Addie Baird, Jason Dick, and Jamal Simmons. Uh, as we always say, with everything going on, there's always one story that just stops you in your tracks uh, to make you either laugh or cry, and uh, we call it our favorite story of the week. Uh, Addie, you want to start us off? Yes. Um, you know, our last little conversation is actually a perfect little um uh-huh. Entry. Okay. I love to bring stories about space as my favorite story of the week because space makes politics feel very small and um, less important. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, my favorite story this week. There's a there's um, a handful of really great reporting stories about this, but um, NASA is sending um, some probes to Venus. And I think it's going to be really interesting. Venus, the, the, the times headline here was new NASA missions will study Venus, a world overlooked for decades. Um, mm. we don't really even understand like what's under the clouds on Venus, um, which is a planet extremely similar to earth in a lot of ways. Um, and I just think it is very exciting. So two, um, spacecraft, Da Vinci Plus and Veritas, are going to go to Venus and check it out um, in the next decade or so. And um, it makes me very excited. <laughs> I, think Addie's gonna, I think Addie's going to be the first one to buy a ticket on the, 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 uh, the, the <laughs> next interplanetary, <laughs> you know, spacecraft. I do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> Jamal, what caught your attention? Uh, so I'm a... Uh, I'm, the older I get, I'm becoming a little soft romantic, and mm. I am completely consumed by J Lo and Ben Affleck oh. figuring it out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it just takes me back to my youth, and I just feel like you know, if they can, if they can figure it out, the world maybe we can figure out politics too. Just watch Geely again; you'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs> they, both, they both tried so hard love <laughs> and they just can't quite, quite figure it out <laughs> uh and jason so uh as everyone knows today is national donut day oh uh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and so i was uh I, I was actually looking for some uh some some story that i could you know sort of 
like understand the origins of National Donut Day a little bit better. Uh, and so I, I came across, you know, most people just write now about the giveaways at Krispy Kreme and Dunkin' yeah, and all right. this kind of stuff. But the the thing that I saw that caught my eye was actually a, a fairly uh, a lengthy uh, narrative of National Donut Day by Kevin Fagan and the San Francisco Chronicle from years ago, from 2009. Uh, but he wrote about the origins of it, which I was unaware of. And it, uh, it in general, uh, it, it uh, started around 1938 in Chicago, and it was a way for the for uh, people to recognize the efforts of the Salvation Army in World War One, where they distributed uh, donuts to American mm. troops mm. In, in Europe, and uh, and so it, it's got a it's got a nice kind of patriotic and humanitarian thing, and you know, let's just face it, it's just a really good excuse to go get you know a, to go <laughs> your face with five hundred calories of congealed sugar <laughs> to go get a donut. All right, <laughs> National Donut Day. Well, my favorite story of the week. Um, uh, one of my favorite. Uh, targets, I guess, or punching bags is Rudy Giuliani. And lately I've been wondering, whatever the hell happened to Rudy Giuliani? I mean, he was everywhere for a year on cable news and with the all the mess about the election and showing up at Mar-a-Lago and at the Trump Hotel. And then he just sort of disappeared because he has his legal problems. But I discovered this week he's got, <clears throat> where else, his own podcast called The Common Sense Podcast, where he not only has to put, do a couple of podcasts a week, he's got to go out and look for sponsors to make money to support his podcast. And uh, it is no surprise that Rudy Giuliani ends up teaming up with Mike Lindell, Mr. My Pillow. <laughs> and Rudy Giuliani is the pitch man, the latest pitch man for My Pillow and their other products. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Rudy Giuliani. I've been sleeping on my pillows for some time. I love them. They're simply the very best pillows ever made. But I just found out <laughs> that they also have a wide assortment of other incredible products like their mattress topper, sheets, towels, and slippers. <laughs> slippers. <laughs> slippers. Uh, how, uh. how the mighty have fallen, right? For America's mayor to hawking slippers. That, that was the sound Dude. of the onion shutting down out of despair. <laughs> <laughs> I just worry for that pillow with that hair dye. Like, will it? Will it hold? <laughs> I don't want to see it in the morning. Okay. Hey, a, uh, uh, to the pillows. Uh, thank you so much, guys. Addie Bear, thank you so much. Jason Dick and Jamal Simmons. Jamal, welcome. Hope to have you back soon. Hope to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, and thank all the rest of you for listening to today's uh, podcast. It's always great to have you with us. We'll be back next week on Tuesday with a special interview with Charlie Sykes, a renegade Republican and founder and creator of the great Bulwark, uh, which I hope you check out every morning. I certainly do. Uh, and we'll find out from Charlie Sykes whether the Republican Party will ever move on from its infatuation with Donald Trump. And with that, meanwhile, just have a great weekend. Keep yourself strong and safe. And then come back and see us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.